Welcome to Everyday Sublime, the podcast that sheds light on yin yoga and meditation. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm a yin yoga and meditation teacher and trainer, as well as a licensed acupuncturist. This podcast is intended to be an in-depth exploration of the intersections between these three topics, yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. And my hope is that these talks and conversations will support your practice and or your teaching of these topics. But to begin this episode, I just want to thank again the folks in the audience that have been supporting this podcast by sharing either an episode or a link to the podcast with their friends or like-minded colleagues. As a free podcast, you probably know this, but the best exchange of value for value here, a way to give thanks to my efforts and also really the best way to support all the guests that come onto this podcast in their free time best way to support us is in expanding the reach of interest in the podcast. So those of you that are sharing, a deep thank you and bow of gratitude. And if you're listening and appreciating what you hear and haven't yet shared, please consider doing so. Just a few clicks of the mouse goes a long, long way to help me keep doing what I'm doing in service of broadening our understanding of yin yoga, Chinese medicine, and meditation. So now, In this final installment of my interview with Dr. Daniel Keown, I asked Dan to talk about what he makes of all the placebo research out there and what it means or what he thinks it means for the efficacy of acupuncture in Chinese medicine. But first, I also ask him a big question that I get all the time in my acupuncture practice in Boston. And this is the question, what medical conditions is acupuncture good for? And here's Dr. Daniel Keown's answer. My answer would be, but I, in my opinion, pretty much everything. I, I think it should be first line for everything. I say that as a Western doctor as well. Like, I mean, okay, in extremis, yeah, when somebody comes in, um, and you know septic for instance yeah well yeah fine you know not first line for sepsis but that's that's a really extreme you know it's becoming more common well there's been a little bit blowback about people who pursue alternative therapies or and we should probably use the word complementary therapies but complementary therapies for chronic things like uh cancer for example, and, and, and the blowback is around people who just take the alternative complementary therapy die faster than the people that take the more conventional route. Um, so you're, you wouldn't be advocating that, though. Like if someone came in with cancer, would you still say t- oh, it, take it the Western? It on the cancer. <clears throat> I mean, cancer is like an unbelievably broad uh, disease. You know, it's unbelievably broad. It's good. You've got cancers that, um, I mean, I've got a whole section in the book about cancer. And, you know, you've got blood cancers, which are which are completely different in, to solid cancers. And then you've got, uh, you've got many things that are diagnosed as cancer. You, you'll outlive them. You know, so bladder cancer is one example. I used to do urology and loads of, there were all these people who were having their bladder cancers monitored and, you know, one of the uh, 
consultants just said, oh, most of these people just die with bladder cancer or prostate cancer. I mean, prostate cancer, when you get to about 85, if you microscopically examine every man's prostate, you'll find they've all got a bit of prostate cancer somewhere. Cancer's much more common than you realize. Right. But for the sake, for the, for the sake of argument, for the, for the virulent cancer that, that could yeah. knock so, yours. So Western medicine's terrible with, with cancer anyway. It's awful. It's terrible. I mean, unless the only thing I would say is, so cutting things out works if you catch it early enough. Definitely cutting things out works. That's great. So surgery, I would be, uh, there's, if there's a surgeon who says, look, I think I can help you, I'd be like, yeah, go for it. Chemotherapy is, is, is just awful. Um, I'd like to see more studies on chemotherapy. The, as far as I know, the studies out there show only, uh, so you've got to treat 50 people um, to get one of them to survive an extra, uh, one extra person to survive over five years. So you've got to, I mean, and it's incredibly poisonous. And also that those effects um, in the studies that are 20, 30 years old, um, uh, apparently disappear in the real world. So in other words, <clears throat> chemotherapy effectively poisons your blood, like Chinese blood. Yeah, it kills. It just kills the blood. And, um, and that's why the, the cancers, uh, the cancers also require that blood to get nourished. So, so, they, so this is Chinese blood, which is the same as Western blood, but more complete in its description. Yeah? So the cancers require blood to get nourished. And, um, and so they suffer as well. As soon as the chemotherapy goes away again, the cancers come back again, you know, and this is this is what has been shown. This is why chemotherapy doesn't work very well. But more importantly, the chemotherapy is so poisonous that your chance of mortality in, in the real world, in other words, when you're not in a trial where everyone's like really, really watching out for you, is 10 percent in the first month on chemotherapy. In the UK, it is anyway. 10%. So these are people who've got cancer, who've been told by their oncologists that we think chemotherapy can help you, who aren't expected to die. Yeah, in the next, certainly not in the next month. Yeah, they're not expected to die soon. Otherwise, they wouldn't start chemotherapy. And 10% of them are dead within a month from the chemotherapy. So basically, um, when you put acupuncture up against this, it's almost like, blimey, even if it's doing nothing. <laughs> at all it's probably better <laughs> you know <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> right and what i would i would in all seriousness i've said this for years yeah i would love to see a study i'm being serious as well where you basically uh, presented people with the facts yeah and said like this is what we know these are our studies on chemotherapy in your cancer yeah da 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 da, da. you can either have the chemotherapy or it's going to cost us like 60 grand to do the chemotherapy or you can have the 60 grand Go and go and live your life with sixty grand more, and I reckon because so so much of the stress with cancer is like uh, the financial stress is enormous. I reckon if you did that, I, I have a feeling that the people you gave the money to in five years' time, more of them would be alive <coughs> than the people you gave chemo to. I'd love to see that study. I think it's an ethical study to do. If you upfront with people and say, look, this is this is what we're measuring, and uh, this is what we know. So oh. <laughs> does that answer your question? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, I mean, I, I was going to say, if, if I ever get cancer, I'll, I'll volunteer for that study gladly. Um, you know, it does sort of raise the 
the other topic I wanted to bring up with you, which is around um, placebo research, and particularly this kind of this argument that um, if acupuncture works, it works only by virtue of being a placebo, a really good placebo. And oh no way, no way. I've, I've seen. <clears throat> firstly, I've seen. Um, um, you know, like nosebleeds, like crazy nosebleeds stopping in emergency. Uh, you know, people, people I've done, um, you know, acupressure to an emergency weren't even aware I was doing acupressure um, and, and their asthma just gets better, stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, short answer, like no way. <laughs> long, long answer is um, long answer is that placebo is is much more complex than Placebo is actually one of the most important things in the therapeutic encounter, full stop. Um, in fact, the, the word placebo is a misnomer. Kapchuk, he, he talks about therapeutic encounter, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. And, so, and, so, so, and actually, just for listeners, there was an art article in the New York Times maybe two, three weeks back about um, maybe the placebo is actually far more um, potent than we've given it credit to be. And Ted, yeah. Ted Kapchuk was referenced, there's a big section on Ted Kapchuk in that article. Um, just two cents on him. He, he, he wrote one of the, the early Western books on Chinese medicine called The Web That Has No uh, Weaver. He was a practicing acupuncturist for, for quite a while. And then he got into, I think, pain management. And then he segued into doing placebo research at Harvard. Yeah, that sounds about right. But yeah. he he oversaw a, a, a study on irritable bowel syndrome, right? With, yes. with acupuncture, and and this is this is what like some of my my medical friends will use to to throw acupuncture under the bus. They'll say, in this study, one arm of the trial, they were given kind of uh, garden variety acupuncture treatment, but rather than having the needles actually inserted. I think a machine was administering the, or inserting the needles, but not actually inserting them. It was like pretending to insert them or something like mm. that. And then mm. another group was given sham acupuncture, meaning not using real points. And that second group was given a lot more personal attention by the practitioner. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then there was a group, then there was an arm, the, 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 the control that got nothing. And they found that both the non-insertive real acupuncture whatever that whatever the hell that is and the sham acupuncture group both had better outcomes but the group that had the better uh practitioner care the one that, where the, the practitioner really spent more time and listened to them that group turned out to have the best outcome of, of the three yeah, and then so, mean, so so then it's just saying, oh well, acupuncture is just placebo. And to me, this is where your understanding of what the acupuncture is working within, I think, yeah. is a is a strong argument against that. And I'd like to hear, maybe you speak to that. Well, well, Kapchuk's research is great. I love his placebo research. It's, I mean, I mean, my favorite one on the IBS. He he, he obviously, I think he likes IBS because um. I think it's particularly, I mean, IBS, you know, from a Chinese point of view, yeah, IBS is bowel, so bowel is thinking, overthinking, so. Yeah, he lives in Cambridge, not far from me, so everyone overthinks and is worried. <laughs> exactly. Harvard, exactly. MIT people. So if you could just, if you could just get them to almost like stop worrying, yeah, I mean, IBS in Chinese medicine is worry, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you get them to stop worrying, then they might get better, so I, I think it's particularly sensitive to having that 
um, a placebo effect. But one of the most interesting studies he did was uh, when he he um, he had IBS patients, and he said that the ethics approval for this was a nightmare. Yeah, and he only managed to get. And he said, um, he said, I'm going to give you a placebo. And they'll be like, well, what's a placebo? A placebo is an inert pill that doesn't have anything active ingredients. It's just a sugar pill. I want you to take this four times a day. Yeah. And they're like, okay, so it has nothing in it of value. No, nothing. Just a sugar pill. Just take it four times a day. So he had a control group four weeks later because he only got ethics approval for four weeks because for some reason this is unethical. Um, uh, the IBS group were doing, the placebo group were doing so much better so much better and these people were, were told that this was a pill that was a placebo and they were still doing better so i mean that just gives you massive pause for thought i mean my i've thought about this a lot and my thinking is that the ritual of taking a pill like changes your behavior in such a way that it can create a healing response. So everyone knows this, but when you go see the doctor, yeah, you've had a problem, eventually you make a, you make a, an appointment, you go and see the doctor and you get there and you feel better. I don't know, maybe you haven't had that. No, I, I definitely had that, right? and I see it with my dog too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so the whole thing is, I think there's a ritual associated with that, which is actually on one level is, is just an acceptance you've got a problem. Yeah, I've got a problem. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to go and see the doctor. So just that acceptance, you know, is I mean, what they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, they go, the first step is to admit you've got a problem. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, a large part of placebos is just or therapeutic encounter. It's just that the moment people like actually accept that they've got a problem, that they need somebody else to talk to. And then and then there's other things as well. So there's the emotional things that are going on. I think when you talk to somebody about your problems, it probably unburdens you emotionally. Um, so there's all kinds of things like that going on with placebo. Now, that that applies to all of medicine, everything, yeah? Surgery, <laughs> the whole lot. And in fact, all good doctors try and maximize placebo as much as possible. It's called bedside manner. Mm -hmm. So, well, but, all, yeah, all good doctors, right? The good, yeah, the, good, the, doctors, the, the, yeah. The good. <laughs> yeah. And, and in fact, actually, what you really want to do, if you think about it logically, let's say that as capture conclusion that he's come to is that placebo effect is probably probably arguably the most powerful effect within medicine. Yeah. Apart from antibiotics, like I said at the beginning of this antibiotics, yeah. um, apart from that, it's probably the most powerful thing within medicine. So arguably, uh, your best medicine is going to be doing as much nothing as possible, which is what good doctors know. So good doctors know that the art, Voltaire said it, the art of medicine is amusing the patient until nature takes its course. And then also there's a book called um, um, The House of God, where the one of the rules of the house of God is, is do as much nothing as possible. So basically, like good doctors already know that you, you do as much nothing as possible. And acupuncture is basically, I don't think it's nothing at all, but it's as close to nothing as possible. I think it's very powerful medicine, acupuncture, but it's as close to nothing as you can get. So, and, and if, if the art of medicine is doing as much nothing as possible, then acupuncture is the sublime example of the art of medicine, <laughs> which is my opinion.
I mean, as an acupuncturist, I, um, I'm biased to, to appreciate that, that way of articulating it. Um, maybe, and I had a question in this list somewhere where I wanted to ask about what do you think is happening when an acupuncture needle is inserted and manipulated? And then, and I, and I want to kind of bridge that with why placebo research on acupuncture, I think, is is rife with difficulty because you know the idea of doing sham acupuncture like needling a part of the body off a channel at least from the way you describe the way the body is interconnected through various connecting channels and main channels you know you can't isolate and not influence something lateral to or you know adjacent to something just because it's not on the exact channel yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's different levels of what the needle does. So let's, I do think that the needle, just inserting the needle, also creates a kind of um, placebo effect, therapeutic encounter, in the same way that those guys who were taking a pill four times a day for their IBS got better. I think just randomly putting a needle anywhere in the body probably has a, a therapeutic encounter effect. Plus, so a level above that, I think that probably there's also some kind of mild healing effect just from sticking or, or, or some kind of balancing effect just from randomly sticking a needle anywhere in the body yeah hmm. so so this well this seems to be what the studies show actually but then above that so when we start to get into the real art and science of acupuncture and what's going on what what happens in health is that the chi just flows around the body very smoothly you know, in the same way that the embryo grows um, in our bodies, cheese moving around smoothly. And then it, it can get stuck. Generally, all pain is stuck chi. And then what you're trying to do with the needle, for instance, in pain is you're trying to just get that chi moving again. Um, I mean, this, this is a big, a big question. What, what are you doing with the needle when you stick it in? You're, I mean, I'll give you, you're uh, probably familiar with liver. sorry. You're probably liver. familiar with um, Dr. Helene Langevin's work. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. and she's shown years ago that when a needle goes in and, and is manipulated, that the collagen in the fascia at that site of insertion winds around the needle and creates a kind of a micro stretch. Which, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which propagates. Yeah, that, I mean, further along and, and the that channel. Would be, that would be um, if you could see the. Uh, electrical currents going on there as well that collagen i bet you that collagen would all be kind of tangled up with electricity you know because collagen's piezoelectric so that's and that's a word that i mean this, this is where i was trying to get you to connect the dots on because because if you mm. if you are inserting a needle and creating a piezoelectric which is what does piezoelectric mean that means that whenever you uh, bend a material it creates electricity but e equally the opposite is true that you can use electricity to deform the material yeah, so, so most the, the uh, most obvious example is in a cigarette lighter. Where you go click, 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 you get a little spark. Mm -hmm. So and they uh, use that, I think, in airbags as well. <clears throat> right, and I think that they're using children's sneakers that have the light bulb oh, they? light up. Yep, uh, there's a little crystal there. Right, so b basically, the collagen is 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 responsive to the needle, and and by by manipulating the needle, you think there's a kind of deformation or change a change in the formation of the collagen. In a way, yeah, that, I mean, that's, yeah, that that would that would 
create a little bit of information of like bioelectric information variance in that tissue. Yeah, see now this is where we we get to the the edge of what we know. Right. In my opinion anyway, as far as I know, we just we just get to the edge of <clears throat> what we kind of scientifically know. So so we have to we have to move into like speculative bullshit territory that have been laid down for thousands of years and just slightly take it on their word that they knew what they were talking about. Um, but I mean, I, that's, I, I agree. I think it probably, it does do something to the collagen. It, and I think if you could see the energy, cause if you could see the electricity, cause it's very difficult to actually see the electricity obviously that's there. I mean, even on my skin now, there'd be uh, electrical currents. You can't see it, you know? So, um, in fact, your the surface of your skin is slightly electronegative compared to um, the interior, and that's probably the way chi, and um, uh, it repels viruses and bacteria and things. But um, yeah, I, I get when it when it actually gets to the point of what does that needle doing when it, you reach and contact the chi? I, I just go with the ancient Chinese at that point. But I think you can. And what's their answer? Well, their answer is like water. They just say it's all like water, isn't it? And and I think that's a great because actually, if you look at the flow of electricity, it you could also describe that in terms of it being like water. So electricity has voltage, which is basically like the the height, the potential difference. In fact, that's what it's called, isn't it? Potential difference voltage. So the potential difference it can drop, and it has a current. It's even called a current with electricity, and it has um, uh, power, creates power as it moves. So so it's very similar to water. So I just see chi as electrical water within the body. And then it's like, um, I find more interesting actually what, what it's doing in the organs, what chi's doing in the organs, um, which you'll get to in section three. That's when it gets interesting because in the spark in the machine, what I really was describing was yuan chi. And one of the feedbacks or questions I used to get was, um, yeah, but what's it actually, when you stick a needle in, what's it doing in the organs? And I kind of went, oh, yeah, actually, I don't really know. Um, and but but when you start <clears throat> getting into the f- structure of the organs, you realize that they all run on electricity. Mm. Yeah. Well, interested medical folks can, can definitely be advised to check that out. Um, I know we're kind of running towards the t- our time a little bit. Um, and given that we're coming into we're coming out of the holiday season into a new year, oftentimes people are. Um, sort of geared up with aspirations for better health. Do you have a few tips that you often give your patients that uh, kind of across the board that are things that they could do to optimize their chi, uh, uh, help circulate their their channels better? What do you, what, what do you recommend? Whether it's di- yeah, dietary, I mean, like, exercise, what kinds of what, yeah. Yeah, I I, I, rec- I always recommend to people to grow their own food as much as possible. Work less, if possible. <laughs> Simplify their lives. Sleep more in the winter. Party more in the summer. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Um, that's that's kind of uh, yeah. But are there things, are there things uh, that people growing your own food is a, is a big one at the moment because I think most of the food that you you can buy or you buy in the supermarkets is now so um such poor nutritional value that and it's so difficult to actually find good food that realistically 
um, you, you should start to grow it. Like, uh, you, not self-sufficiency levels, but even if you just start growing herbs mm-hmm. um, and carrots. Carrots are quite easy. <laughs> are, there things that, are, are there things that people consume regularly that you think are just verboten? Like that just they, if you could take, take one thing out of someone's mouth, what would it be? Oh, what, food-wise? Yeah. Oh, no, because I probably eat them. Fair <laughs> That's enough, the problem. <laughs> um, uh, what do you think? Well, you Is know, there's the classic you... one in acupuncture that you know things that that that, that, that um, what's the word that uh, insult the spleen, which is the digestive organ of Chinese medicine. But things yeah. that insult the spleen are yeah. sweet, uh, dairy, cold. The trifecta of that is ice cream, yeah. and if you add, you know, baked Alaska in that mix, you get fried fried food, which also creates this pathological phlegm in the system, which just sends. You're just describing American cuisine, yeah. basically, aren't you? <laughs> well, not no, I will say one thing actually. One thing that people should take out of their diet is modern wheat. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. I th- I think that's poisonous. I think for two reasons. Like, firstly, um. I think it's all it's borderline indigestible because of the way that they've just created really high yields. So the green revolution, they, they just tripled the yield. Something had to give. But more importantly, I think it's the glyphosate and the arsenic and other stuff that gets sprayed on. So I would I always recommend that to people, get rid of the wheat. Do you diet. think that's connected replace it. Do you think that's connected to the rise in gluten intolerance? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot. Of, well, the endoderm lining of your your gut is lined by this endoderm, which is also in the jellyfish. <clears throat> it's it's very very delicate, and uh, so it's. Um, I mean, the other thing that's starting to go through the roof is um, gastrointestinal cancers. Mm. Like these things were like, you know, when I was at medical medical school twenty years ago, like colon cancer was an old person disease. What's now it's now? becoming a young really? yeah it's like and they're and they're scratching their head and going why is this and it's like hmm, I, I wonder if it's anything to do with those poisons that you're spraying on all the food that we're eating those poisons that are also carcinogens yeah. you know and um so i mean to me it's it's yeah the food the food is the big um, I think like growing your own food or just even just starting with herbs, just that's the, that's the gateway food drug. <laughs> Once you start growing herbs then you know, you can move on to, to harder. Food. At one point I did want to like whip out the line, like to ask you what kind of uh, kale you've been smoking, but it's, it's, it's become clear. <laughs> listen dan it's been a pleasure real pleasure to talk to you um i've i've really enjoyed uh both your books so and i would say you know someone wasn't an acupuncturist or a medical practitioner would you recommend they go to the spark in the machine first um yeah so spark in the machine i'd say is for like if you're if you're um if you'd like popular science I got really upset with my publishers because uh, I thought it was mismarketed, Sparking Machine. Um, how was it marketed? So, how how hmm? did it get marketed? Oh, uh, just like the cover. I really didn't like the cover. In fact, I wanted um, so I wanted this picture on the cover. Hmm. 
I almost wrote that book because of the cover. Almost. But so so that the spark the spark of the machine is definitely a book for um, people who have a scientific bent. I think. I mean, don't you? Yes. No, I think you, there's a, there's a fair degree. And I don't actually, I didn't feel like I fully had the scientific literacy to, 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 to march through it. Um, unscathed. Still, yeah. And, <laughs> and, and also like I've, I've been, I've been saying to them that they should split that book into three as well. That the first, what God forgot to tell, tell surgeons, they should um, basically um, separate that and sell it as a separate book because it get it starts to get really deep in part two and part three. Yeah of the spark in the machine it gets into like embryology and it gets quite complex and like it loses a lot of people and it's not supposed to lose people it's just that if you want to understand why the spleen um why you, you know why the spleen governs transformation and transportation in chinese medicine you need yeah. To, yeah 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 that's it but most people don't want to understand right. that yeah um so the uncharted bodies is basically for if you if you want to understand how your body works and you want to, it's almost like a self-help manual. It's like a, my ambition is for the uncharted body that it becomes that, that book that like if, when you were growing up, you used to have like kind of a nat before the internet, people had like, I don't know, anatomy or medical books or something like that hanging around the yeah. house, you know, people of a certain middle-class persuasion. My ambition is that this becomes that book that people just have around the house yeah. and i have to say the videos that you're doing on youtube uh sort of they're small seven ten minute little talks you're giving with the visuals that go along with the book really help i think i would i think would help the reader move through the material in a in a more um digestible way so that's a great addition yeah yeah, good, good. Yeah, because I was wondering about that because I haven't got a huge amount of views, but I just thought I'd, it's uh, early days. No, I'd, no, no. Um, you, you, consistency is the key. Consistency is the key. Keep yes. putting those out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I agree completely. Yeah, because I, I kind of like thought, well, what, what? Uh, all the YouTube people I like. I mean, um, you know, they just they just keep churning them out. They're not necessarily like amazingly high production values, but it's just that like you say the content the valuable content it's when people know that they can go there and there'll be new material they start going there right to get the new material yeah. isn't yeah. it yeah keep keep get the archive built um listen i know it's getting late there so i want to let you let you go but i really want to thank you for your time and uh we'll send we'll include include right. links to all everything we've discussed in the uh, in the show notes below yeah 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 pleasure So now you know, to take charge of your health, you need to grow your own food, and at the very minimum, start growing some herbs, or herbs. This is something that I'm actually really looking forward to starting doing this spring. Now, as I've mentioned in the past, my plan is to have Dr. Dan Keown back on the podcast in order to dive into some of the denser material of his book. But in anticipation of that follow-up interview, I want to invite you to send me some questions for Dr. Keown. You can email me at josh at joshsummers.net with the things you want to know about Chinese medicine or Western medicine or the relationship between the two. And I'll try to weave these questions together into the next interview series. But before then, 
to help you better understand Chinese medical thought, again, I can't recommend and encourage you to pick up a copy of The Unchartered Body, Dr. Daniel Keon's new book. In 2020, this will be the required text for my traditional Chinese medicine module in my yin yoga teacher training program. So hop over to Dr. Keon's website, which is drdankeon.com. The link there is in the show notes and get yourself a copy. So Dan will be back in a few months, but in the next episode of Everyday Sublime, I'll bring you the first part of an interview I did with a French yin yoga teacher and trainer, Sebastian Poussel. Sebastian and I share a deep love of the Dharma, and when I spoke with him, it was like discovering a long-lost friend. Our conversation is what might fall under the category of meditation shop talk, and I'm really excited to release that conversation to you soon. Now, in the meantime, 2019 is proving to be a full and gratifying year of teaching. If you'd like to study or train with me or Terry, who's my leader in the yin yoga school, please check out our, our website, yinyogaschool.com. That's yinyogaschool.com. This is a unique training program where you can attend our program with or without any intention to teach. And you can also take as many or as few modules as you'd like. It's meant to be a user-friendly school, and we offer in-depth study of yin yoga, Chinese medicine, meditation, and yang yoga throughout the United States, Europe, and as of 2020, in New Zealand too. So head over to yinyogaschool.com for more information about our training. Thank you so much for listening today, guys, and I'll see you in the next episode.